Good morning. This morning I want to look at a passage of scripture, actually kind of a, an extended passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians. You're welcome to flip there if you want to, and I'll put it up here. And I just want us to be reminded of four amazing things that God is doing in and through our lives. However, when you read these things, if you're like me, your reaction may be, you know what, I know my own weaknesses. Is God really doing that? And I have good news for you today. The whole theme of 2 Corinthians is actually God working through our weaknesses. Um, So let's keep that in mind. And uh, the title of today's sermon is God's Redemptive Work Through You. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 through 5. And um, if you're also like me, you read through the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians, and there's a lot of letters and a lot of things happening. It's a little bit easy to get confused. So just a quick history here. Paul had traveled to Corinth and established the church. And at some point um, after that, he, had, he wrote a letter that we don't have, um, a letter to warn them. And then the book of 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter. After that, they had, um, they had fallen into, there was people coming in and pulling them away from the gospel. Paul had went, and there was a visit that had went very badly in many ways. And Paul left, and he sent a, a really harsh letter calling them to repent. The good news is most of them did. Um, and then the book of 2 Corinthians is actually the letter that he's sending in response to all of that. So I want us to have that backdrop in mind when we're, when we're going to look at these amazing truths of what God is doing in our lives. We're not talking about a perfect church here. We're talking about a church that is fraught with issues and probably very much like um, our church and a lot of, a lot of churches today. Um, but the primary theme of 2 Corinthians is his ministry is under attack. And there are people who are trying to, to pull the church away from the real gospel of Christ. And so in 2 Corinthians, he's going to defend the legitimacy of his ministry. He's going to ask for their help with a financial need. And he's going to appeal to the minority to repent um, that had not responded to his first letter. But the primary theme is his ministry is under attack. And they were saying... He suffered too much. He's too weak. And they were just, they were really attacking him. And so Paul is going to defend how he had lived, but his primary defense is going to be the life of the believers in the church and what God is actually doing in their life and in their heart. So I want to just remind us of these four things that, that Paul points back to, saying, look, this is the authentic gospel of Jesus. Look at what God is doing in your heart. And um, I hope that you can be encouraged today that God is doing this in and through your heart. Um, but I also hope that it can be a call to action because it is an invitation for us to join God. Um, so I hope we can both be comforted and maybe a little uncomfortable if, if we need to be um, as we evaluate these things. So there are gonna, I just want to look at four ways that God describes his redemptive work through his people or God's redemptive work through you. And these are four pictures that God gives us in his word. And I struggle with this a little bit because they are referenced quite often. And so we know these things. But what I didn't quite realize until I was reading through 2 Corinthians is that they're kind of all packaged together in one argument. And so I just want to look at these four pictures and and hope and pray that God can use it to speak to us um, as we go through this. 
So uh, jumping in, 2 Corinthians 2. Um, so, so far what Paul has done in the book, he's opened up and he's talked about God comforting him. There's two chapters outlining what's happened to him. And oh, by the way, he has been so discouraged that he even despaired of his own life. That was written uh, here. And keep that context in mind for what we're about to read. And um, I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 12. And this is Paul on a missionary journey. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So he was looking for Titus because Titus had went and visited the church, and Titus was supposed to tell him how things were going. And now, all of a sudden, there is going to be this huge shift in the text. So up until this time, it's been talking about the hardships he's went through. He, he wants to know how it's going. And now, all of a sudden, we're going to pick up verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So again, we want to look at four things that God is doing in the life of a born-again believer. And, and we pick this up. So Paul, he's saying all these things are happening, but he's saying, thanks to God, I'm always being led in a triumphal procession. And just notice that he's spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus everywhere. So even though Paul was facing lots of problems, was very weak, God was at work in his heart and spreading the fragrance of, of Jesus everywhere. What kind of procession is he being led in? He, remember, he's just talking about all of his hardships. And he says he's being led in a triumphal procession. And so often in our life, it might look like, you know, God, maybe God is not at work or what is God doing? But God is always at work and he's leading in a triumphal um, procession. And he's spreading his fragrance, the knowledge of him everywhere. So the imagery that's used here is the same as is used in Colossians 2, where it talks about Jesus when he died. He spoiled the powers of darkness and made a show of them openly. And the picture is what would happen in Rome when they would go out. And if a general, and they had certain, they had certain criteria for this, but if a general would go out and would conquer a new land and would fight a, an army of a certain size, they would come back to the city and there would be a giant victory celebration and parade. And the general would go in a chariot and you know, his soldiers and, and people coming behind they would be burning incense, and the people in the procession would either be led and would have to battle wild beasts and, and likely die or be enslaved. So that's the picture here, that, that Jesus is actually leading us in a triumphal procession. So Jesus has spoiled the powers of darkness entirely, and through the life of believers, even if we are very weak, God is leading us in a victorious parade that is spreading his aroma um, everywhere. So the imagery of a, of, of a pleasing aroma, um, in Ephesians we're told that when Jesus died, 
his death was a pleasing aroma um, to God. And Christ is presenting this aroma um, on our behalf. But the interesting thing is, does this aroma smell good to everybody? It doesn't. It impacts people one of two ways. So if we're born again and following Christ, it is the aroma of life to life. And for those that aren't born again, it is the smell of death to death. So one of the things that I'm encouraged about is that as believers and followers of Christ, we are called to share the life of Christ, but we are not always responsible for how people respond to that. So we should do it in a loving and caring way, but we're not always responsible for how people um, will respond. And he says, who's sufficient for this? And the, answer, the clear answer is no one is outside of Christ. Nobody is sufficient for that outside of Christ. So the word picture I want to draw attention to, one of the four things that God is doing today through your life, if you're following him, is you are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And as we look at these different pictures, I'd like us to keep this in mind that it highlights both why we need other believers in the body, because all those who are being saved are the aroma of Christ to me and to us. We're, we're sharing that back and forth. But it's also a picture of sharing God's redemptive work with those who are, not, who are not saved yet. So I've got a picture. The first picture we have is the aroma of Christ. So our lives, the life of Christ in us is the aroma that our life um, is giving off. And I, it's kind of interesting to me, why, why would he choose um, the word aroma to describe our life? And I don't I don't fully understand this. I know it points back to the worship in the Old Testament. But one of the fascinating things about smells and aroma, do you know what I mean? When you can smell something and it instantly takes you there. Like you can, if, you know, it takes you to a memory. You're just instantly transported there. And the odd thing about the way God has wired our smell to work is it actually bypasses one part of our brain and goes directly to where our memories are stored and where our emotions are. And so that's why you can, with no warning, you can walk in somewhere or smell, you know, it's fresh bread, and I will feel like I'm at home and mom is baking. Um, so I'm not saying that the aroma of Christ is meant to bypass part of our brain, but I think it's a picture here that when the, the life of Christ is real in us, people, it will impact people. And they will instantly have to decide what to do with it. This is real. This is different. This is impacting, impacting me different. Um, and then just thinking about how to some people it is a, it's a picture of life to life and to others death to death. And I'm sorry, I don't have the mic on and so it's hard for me to stay at home and be in front of this mic. I will try my best. Um, just I was thinking through how that happens. And an example in my life, this goes back um, quite a few years ago, I was traveling, and God in his wisdom put me in a tight little back row of the airplane beside somebody who was clearly just living a very, very ungodly lifestyle. And I, I really did not feel like talking. But anyway, we got into this discussion and talked about the whole flight long. And this person um, was very open and honest about uh, he had grown up in a Christian family, had become very bitter, and had walked away from the Lord. So we're, we're talking through all of these things, and he's sharing. We've talked most of the flight. 
And shortly before we land, there's a guy beside me, and he, he just he sticks his head up between the seat, and he is irate. And he's like, look, when I fly, I do not want to hear about politics or religion. And it was so fascinating. What do you do in that situation? So I don't know if this was the right call or not. We kind of wound down our conversation and let it at that. But it was very interesting to me. I, I feel like God was working in the life of the gentleman beside me. And I think he was calling him from life to life. And I definitely think that that aroma was spreading to the uh, row behind me. And he didn't want anything of it. And he was like, enough, this has to stop. Um, so I just want to encourage you that you are the aroma of Christ. If you are in Christ and walking with him wherever you go. Um, this is where I wish it was Sunday school and we had a little more time. Just thinking through this, what are the implications of being the aroma of Christ, both individually and as a church? Are there any, I guess, applications or implications of this that come to mind when Jesus describes our life as spreading his aroma around? And it's so freeing that that's the life of Christ in us. We are called to defend it intellectually, the gospel, but the life of Christ can bypass all of those things through the, the work of his spirit. Thanks. Any other comments on what it means to be the aroma of Christ? All right, we'll go on to the next picture, if not. Um, and this one is sequential, but I... I recognize that we're not going to go through all of these chapters. There's a lot of things we could cover, but just lifting out the four pictures uh, that God gives us. So uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So what was happening here is they would have these traveling speakers that would go around and they would have letters of recommendation from people that they had known saying that, yes, this, you know, this person is following the Lord and, and you should listen to him. And so apparently these false teachers had letters of recommendation, but they weren't authentic or they didn't guarantee their, their theology. So he's saying, do we need letters of recommendation? And he goes on to say, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on your, our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart, of human hearts. So he's circling back to this idea of a letter, and the letter is written not on paper, but on hearts. Who is the audience for this letter? Who should, who should be reading the letter? Verse 2 tells us that it is to be known and read by all, and the author is God himself. Verse 3 tells us that the letter is from Christ, written from the spirit of, with the spirit of the living God. And you know, in the Old Testament, God, in Exodus, God comes and writes his law on a tablet with his finger, on, on a tablet of stone. 
And here he's saying that this isn't written with ink, it's not a tablet of stone, but the spirit of the living God comes and writes his law, his heart, um, right into our heart. And uh, this was prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus. So thinking about, um, thinking about the second picture, that you are a letter from Christ that is written by the Spirit of God. And isn't it encouraging to know that when God sends you out in the world, God is giving you a letter of, of commendation or recommendation. God is writing on your heart saying that this is my child. Um, he or she is born again. I've changed his life, and they are a minister of the new covenant. And as I think about this, what I want us all to know is that God has a message that he does want to share through your life. And again, think of this in the context of that happens at church. God is sharing messages back and forth, but it is meant to share also with those that don't know the Lord. God has written a message on your heart um, that he is sharing. I really think that this message is a life transformed by the power of Christ is a powerful letter written by Christ. And as I look at my life, what message do people read when they're reading the message and the letter um, of my life? Any thoughts or um, application of what does it mean to you um, when you head out for work tomorrow morning that you are there as a letter of Christ? His spirit has written a letter on your heart. And one of the things that I, that I think I want to just be reminded of is this is more amazing that God does this in our hearts than when he wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablet of stone, that God writes um, this in our heart. Any application to being God's letter? Carrying that on your heart. Yeah. So Mary is, for those that couldn't hear, Mary is saying that the original Ten Commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, and now we are the very, we are the temple of God. He is, he's living in our hearts. Yeah, thank you. All right, we're going to keep going, and again, there's a lot of scripture that that is wonderful in between here. Um, in the rest of this chapter, he talks about the work of God's spirit in our heart, that it lifts away the veil and that we can see Jesus and see who he is and behold his face and be transformed um, into his image from glory to glory. And want to pick up the next uh, image of what God is doing in chapter 4. So 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So I want us to notice that verse 4 and verse 6 are essentially parallel verses talking about God's work in our hearts. So verse 4 is talking about before we came to know the Lord and all those that are not born again. And verse 6 parallels that. So in the case of those that have not accepted the Lord, um, the God of the world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to where they're not able to see who Jesus is. And that's the light of the gospel. In verse 6, it's tying us back to creation. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, um, it's tying that back to when we're born again. God speaks that new birth in our hearts and the light of the new birth shines in. And it gives us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I just think that verse 6 is so, such a beautiful picture of, of salvation and what it means to be born again. That God has shown his light in our heart and that we can see the face of Christ and, and be changed and become like him and receive um, his love and his life. So Jesus is the face of the glory of God. Um, but then he goes on to say that we have this treasure in jars of clay. And that's the, word, the third word picture is that we, are, we have a treasure in a jar of clay. So at this stage um, of the world, clay pots would have been really common, really cheap, pretty fragile, I don't think it's exaggerating to describe it to like a plastic container today. It, it's just the common thing that people used. And it was not designed to be noticed. And the only value of a clay pot was if it was functional and if it had something valuable inside. And I think that is the picture for us in Christ that we have this tremendous treasure and it's in, it's in a jar of clay. You know, if, if you have something valuable, um, where do you change completely? And it means to take something from being at odds or in enmity against you to being in friendship with you. So it, it's taking um, and basically an enemy and making, um, making it into a friendship. So that is what God is doing. And this is the incredible power of the gospel and the offer of the gospel, that Christ was was reconciling the world through his death and resurrection. And um, it's incredible that he is no longer counting our trespasses against us. And that is literally the picture, the word picture is of if somebody owes you a debt and you're just calculating what, what is that debt. And, and God is not doing that anymore because Jesus paid it all for us on Calvary and he's reconciled us uh, to himself. So that is the good news of the gospel here today. Um, that we've been brought near. But what's amazing here is that he reconciled us. And then the end of verse 18 is that he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So that very, the very thing that Christ has done for us, that's the role that he now wants us to play as his followers um, in the world. We've been given a ministry. And it's, it is the, the word is like the function or the role. That's what we do. That we're sharing that, that, um, that reconciliation. So he's given us that ministry to do, um, but beyond that, he's also entrusted to us the message of that reconciliation. And so we are, 
our life is called to be to be an aroma, uh, but we're also entrusted with um, needing to share that message that God has called us to do that. So we are called to speak that message. And I think it doesn't just apply to those who have never heard. It certainly applies to all people. God, God's heart is for all people in all places. Um, but I think we do well to just remind ourselves that as of today, um, even with all of the, the technology and translation, um, according to the Joshua Project, there are about 3 billion people out of the 8 billion people in the world who they would consider unreached. And what they mean by unreached is that they live in, in a situation with, where there is 5% or less of the population with any reference to Christianity and where they would have limited or no access to the gospel. Um, that's kind of almost staggering to think that it's, there's that many people um, today. One of the things that I'm, I'm very excited about is that in, in today's world, God is having people from all around the world live all around the world. And so we have opportunities today that 100 years ago did not exist. Um, so take Prince William County where I live. One in four people that live in Prince William County were born outside of the U.S. And isn't that, isn't that pretty neat that today in this era of time, there are people from all around the world that God lets us to interact with um, to share this message and the ministry of, of reconciliation. So the word picture here is that we are ambassadors for Christ. Um, thinking about an ambassador, they go live in another country. They're clearly a citizen of their home country. They're sent as an official representative to carry out a mission, uh, to deliver a message on behalf of the leader. One of the things that, that we have done a few years back, we went in and toured embassies um, in D.C. They had a day where they were inviting, um, inviting people to come tour their embassy. And so, you know, what they, long lines of people and, and food, but what they were trying to do is promote their culture of their country and, their, um, and the country that they represented. One interesting thing here, I think that the, uh, the role of an ambassador probably feels a little more safe today than it would have in this context, um, because I understand for the Romans, they would go out and conquer lands. If the land was peaceful and agreed with them being there, they didn't really send an ambassador. But if you were sent as an ambassador from Rome, it was because you were being sent to a place that was being held and there was a chance that they would try to have an uprising. And so your ambassadorship was very active. Um, and I think that that is somewhat of a picture of what it means to be an ambassador uh, in today's world where we're called to be an ambassador to all of those um, that don't know the Lord. All right, so um, the picture here is that we are an ambassador for Christ wherever we live. One of the things that I had to think about, we've talked in the last year about church being an embassy, which I think is a great picture. Um, if our church closed its doors today and we all moved elsewhere, what would change in the town of Catlett and surrounding areas? What is this embassy doing on behalf of representing um, Jesus Christ and being ambassadors for him. And I'm not implying that nothing would change. I'm simply asking that question that I think, I think we should think about that. If the church was gone, what would change? 
All right, so thinking about being an ambassador for Christ, um, are there applications in your life or questions that come up? What does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ? Any comments? We're representative, yep. So we're representing Christ wherever we go, all the time. Okay, Wayne says an ambassador is not ashamed of the culture he represents. Yeah. Bonnie's saying an ambassador doesn't get entangled in the country where they're they're living as a representative. There's clearly two kingdoms, and and we um, an ambassador doesn't get entangled in the wrong kingdom and or the kingdom where they're representing their home. Yeah. Well, thank you. So, I, in summary. I just want to remind us of, of what God is doing in, in and through us and that we can be encouraged in this. Um, but also we do have a part to play um, in all of this and hope we can be challenged to do that. And I know, I know, I guess partly the intent of the sermon is we can maybe latch on to one of these images. And I wanted us to see that it's part of a bigger argument in Scripture that points to the authentic work of Christ in us that... Christ is doing this. Christ will do this through his church and through individuals. And that is that we are called, we're called to be an aroma. We're called to be a letter. We are a jar of clay with an incredible treasure and we are an ambassador um, for Christ. So I want to encourage you this week that as you go about your life, um, watch for ways to share your testimony. And I'm talking to me as much as anybody here. Watch for ways to talk about um, your testimony. I think that, well, we can share the gospel in many, many, many ways. Um, but particularly in our culture today, there's a lot of reaction to a lot of things. But people are eager to hear your story and your testimony. So I think that's a great place to start. And I will just say at this point, one of the things that can happen is when I talk about sharing your testimony maybe you're like, well, what, what is my testimony? I don't have much of a testimony. If you are here and you are born again, it is because of a miracle of God that he saved us. And so it doesn't have to be a long, complicated testimony, but we all have a testimony if we are born again. And if you are here and don't know the Lord, as we read, I'm urging you to accept Christ's gift of salvation and to be reconciled to him. He's offered that to us. But, but I, in thinking about our testimony, I think God can, or Satan can often try to get us into one of two ditches. One is, well, you know what, maybe I grew up in a Christian home and I didn't really spend that much time in blatant sin, and so what is my testimony? You know what, it is no less of a miracle for God to save us, and we still should talk about that. Or maybe you're saying, you know what, there is too much 
sin and too much weakness. And that kind of keeps us quiet. And the message today is, you know what? We are all jars of clay. And it's all about the treasure. And so I just want to encourage you to, to feel free to, to talk about your testimony, even if it's 30 seconds, 90 seconds, and feels awkward and feels like it's stumbling. Um, go for it, and let's, let's point people to Christ. Um, again, I will admit that I struggled to preach this a little bit because we all know this. Um, but I know for my own life, there's a lot of things that I know, and that doesn't always translate into action. And so I pray that um, God can do that for me and, and through our church here. Um, I've asked Darren to lead us in the song, uh, Lord, Make Us Instruments of Your Peace. Um, so Darren, would you do that? And then I will close with prayer and ask God's blessing on the food downstairs. Um, what is the number? I, I didn't. Okay. Okay.